Hi, Renaissance. My name is Jessica Rice. I am the communications director here at our church, which means I spend most of my days helping to tell the story of our church and make sure everyone's informed about the things going on in the life of our community. Um, I also get to be a part of something that we have here called Teaching Team, which means I'm in the group of people that reviews the sermons that uh, get delivered on Sundays when you come. And uh, there's a lot of times when people ask me a question like, do you know that Jordan is going to make that ridiculous joke when you're sitting in the audience? And I will tell you that none of those jokes make it into those weekly meetings for review. Um, So I am just as caught off guard uh, and sometimes horrified by his ridiculousness. And I'll let you just imagine how ridiculous things are in our home. But anyway, I'm very happy to be here with you all particularly as we are in this embodied sermon series. Uh, This is week 11 of the series, and I just am really grateful that our pastors had the wisdom, the commitment to walk us through this content, this whole idea of how our physical bodies connect to our faith. Uh, Because I think that this is such an underformed part of American theology, like the American church does not really think about how are we called to view our bodies, how should we use our bodies, how do we treat our bodies and the bodies of other people when that in fact has a very big impact on our faith and what we believe. And um, you know, we tend to think in compartmentalized ways, you know, we think about our spiritual life, our emotional life, our professional world, our physical bodies. Uh, We don't connect any of them, but in fact, the truth is Jesus came to earth to redeem all of those things. Jesus cares about every component and every aspect of your life, and the fact is all of those things are interconnected. And today, I want to talk about a physical practice that all of us do, every single person in this room. And it may seem kind of mundane, but in fact, it too has spiritual implications. Today, I want to talk about rest. Hmm. I want to talk about rest, okay. And I want to talk about rest as a spiritual practice, as an act of faith. I want to talk about rest as an act of faith. So this is not a TED Talk on the benefits of sleep. Um, You're right. You're laughing because you've seen those, right? Like we've all listened to the podcast. We've read the article about how we all need more sleep. All of us are sleep deprived. We read it. We nod our heads. And then we say, pass us another cup of coffee, right? We go on about our busy lives. But today, I want to talk about the way that you and I rest or don't rest and how that's a direct reflection of our trust in Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you to make a list of spiritual practices, and what I mean by that is the things that we can do that help point us towards God, you might say things like reading your Bible. You might say things like setting aside a designated time for prayer. You might say coming to church on a Sunday morning to worship with other Christians, and all of those are great things. My guess is that something like taking time to rest 
uh, would be very low on that list that you made. And in fact, I mean, most likely it's not on the list at all. When I'm talking about rest, I'm talking about it in the biblical sense of the word. Um, It's this theme that we see over and over throughout Scripture. It's something God takes very seriously, and it means to stop all movement. But to rest, to really rest and stop, we have to trust God will take care of things for us. We have to trust that if we rest, if we stop, The world is not going to stop turning on its axis. Jesus says something really profound in uh, John chapter 6, verse 29. It's a verse that I come back to all the time. The disciples asked him what they should do, and Jesus replied and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. That you believe in the one he has sent. Now, if we zoom in on this word believe, the word in the Greek means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. It's the type of trust that allows you to relax. And, um, you know, I have two kids at home, two boys, they're seven and four, and the four-year-old has, like, completely no regard for my personal space whatsoever, Um, And so there are these moments where uh, (laughs) I'm like, can I have some privacy? He's like, privacy? Yes. And he sits down right next to me and watches me. But there's other times when we're in our living room, we're sitting on the couch, one of their favorite cartoons is on the television, and he, with all 47 pounds of him, climbs up into my lap and leans back, and I essentially become his lazy boy recliner. Like, he is just relaxed, chilling, unbothered, reclined and at rest. And when Jesus tells us that the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent, he's saying he wants you to rest and relax like that. Your life is in his hands. You are secure. Your rest is an act of faith. Now, the truth is, though, (laughs) that most of my days are not spent feeling very relaxed. The reason I have to come back to this scripture so much is because most days I feel like if I don't handle everything on my to-do list, if I don't get it all done, the people who I care for, my well-being, maybe even this church is all going to come crashing down. Rest isn't just something that we should get or is a nice to get. Rest is something we've actually been designed for. We're built for rest. Our bodies are screaming this to us every single day, right? We go and go and go, and then finally what happens? We start to yawn. Our eyelids start to droop. Even when we need to be awake, we tell ourselves, like, you know, we're in the important meeting, and you're trying to listen, and the eyes and whatever, and then you take this blink, and you open your eyes, and you're like, my eyes were closed for way longer than just a blink's amount of time, like minutes have perhaps gone by, and who saw me? Or someone is pouring out their heart to you, and you want to care, you do care. And you're like, "Mm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Because the sleep is taking over. (laughs) And the, the fact is, we're built with this biological daily need for sleep. 
And it doesn't take much to acknowledge that. Um, this is a physical truth about our makeup. But listen, it's also theological. It's a physical truth that we need sleep, but it's also theological. The spiritual truth is we've already talked about in this embodied series that we are created in God's image. We learned that in Genesis 1, 26, and 27. Um, but this is the thing, and I find this incredibly profound, that we're also taught that not only are we created in God's image, but the gods whose image we're created in decided to rest. Think about that. The gods whose image you were created in decided to rest. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it states, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all of his work of creation. What does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? It doesn't mean that God closed his eyes and took a nap, right? He doesn't need a nap. He's self-sufficient and doesn't need anything to survive or exist. It also doesn't mean that God rested in the sense that he stopped caring about what his creation was up to. Rest for God was the completion of his creation. The created order was whole, requiring only his sustaining grace. And we, being created in his image, are created equally to stop and rest in the sustaining grace of God. When was the last time you felt that kind of peace? When was the last time you felt that you could say, I've done my part, and now all I need to do is stop and rest in the sustaining grace of God? That's what we were made to live in. That is the invitation waiting here for us today. That kind of rest which is the type of rest we're talking about, is an act of faith. I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, the way we tend to view our days is that there is the morning and daytime where we get everything done, and then there's night when we go to sleep and we do nothing. Uh, but the way Jesus would have understood a day is actually the opposite of how we do. Okay, so... Looking at Genesis 1 and 4, it says, God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Okay, there was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. In Jewish culture... Days begin in the evening with the setting of the sun. And we see this in Genesis 1, where the same phrase gets repeated over and over, and there was evening, and there was morning. So why is this important? Well, the, Jesus, the calendar that Jesus would have followed was lunar. It was based on the moon, which means the days are marked from sunset to sunset. 
It also means that the day, according to a Jewish calendar, begins with rest. So counter to how we see our days, that we do all the things and we end with rest, for them, they started by settling down and going to sleep. Our days and periods of productivity should flow out of these periods of rest. I love how Anglican priest and writer Tish Harrison Warren so beautifully captures this in one of my favorite books. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary, and she says, this understanding of time is powerfully reorienting, even jarring to those of us who measure our days on our own efforts, based on our own efforts and accomplishments. The Jewish day begins in seemingly accomplishing nothing at all. We begin by resting, drooling on our pillow, dropping off into helplessness. What a beautiful picture of trust and reliance on God. Though the day begins in darkness, God is still at work. God is still at work watering the seeds you've sown, tending to the sick people you're praying for, giving rest, protecting, mending, redeeming, guarding. We drift off to sleep, but the Holy Spirit never stops working. In a lot of ways, this is the gospel message, that God's work to save us, to shape us, always proceeds and goes before our own effort. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2 and 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. God's work to save us comes before our own effort, before we do anything, And the way we rest is meant to reflect the beauty and the power of the gospel message. We rehearse it every single night when we lay down to sleep. Our rest is an act of faith. Our physical need for rest is pointing to greater spiritual design and reality. Now, before I go too far down this road today, though, I do want to make sure that no one hears me saying something that I'm not saying, okay? I am not saying that hard work is bad because hard work is a very good thing. God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the garden and work is something that we are to engage in for the majority of our weeks. It is both good for you and good for others around you. When I'm talking about rest, I'm talking about rest from our work. Um, But for some of us, myself included sometimes, we're tired not because we've been working so hard, but because we've given ourselves over to distractions, right? We've given ourselves over to the doom scrolling on social media, to the online shopping, to the TikTok dancing, whatever, whatever it is. We've done all of that um, when we should be doing the things that are required of us. So whatever it is you're doing right now, whether you're in school or whether you're uh, working, you honor God and bless people by working hard. Whether that's teaching children, whether that's cutting chicken at Chipotle, whether that's building spreadsheets, whether that's changing diapers, whether that's performing in a Broadway show. Now, that being said, rest is so fundamental to who we are 
It's part of our God-given design. So why don't we do it? Why don't we do the thing we're designed to do? I can think of a few reasons. Some are external, some are internal. Externally, you know, there's a harsh reality that some of us just have lower paying jobs. And the fact of the matter is, in order to survive in New York City and pay New York City bills, you have to have multiple hustles going just to be able to keep a roof over your head, just to be able to keep your phone turned on. And if that's you, I pray that you do not hear any of this as shaming. My sincere prayer is that God would open up some doors in your employment and create the kind of financial margin that would allow you to incorporate regular rhythms of rest. The same is true for those of you who are raising small children, like who wake up at odd hours of the day and they need you, right? They, there's no saying no to the child who needs to be fed. They need you for their emotional needs, their biological needs, their brain development. And so none of the newborn parents, the parents of newborns are going home today saying like, you know what? I'm going to get 10 hours of sleep tonight. You know, like you going to get what you going to get, bruh. You know what I'm saying? Godspeed, yes. Um, and we could go through a myriad of other situations, external circumstances, outside of our immediate control that might require us to get less sleep and rest for a season. But for many of us, why we don't rest is a matter of internal reasons, of things going on in our lives and in our hearts. Uh, you know, first, I think our rest muscles are weak. Our rest muscles are weak. There was this comprehensive study conducted in 2013 in the UK, it was featured on NPR, that talked about how in the same way kids learn to walk and talk and run, they learn how to rest. Uh, so kids need to have the whole bedtime routine, have the bedtime stories, have the dim lights to create this biochemical path that leads them towards sleep. They learn how to do it. And so, um, you know, I think it's so important to note that if that is true for a toddler, an infant, that's also true for adults. Like, we often don't know how to rest because we have no practice and no formation in doing it well. Um, and I think if rest is a learned habit, like if we learn to rest, then I think the same can be true that restlessness is a learned habit. And that's why we find ourselves, <laughs> so many of us, we have downtime, it's a moment to truly unplug and relax, and what do we do? We can't help but turn over our phone and check one more email, and refresh one more time. We find ourselves with some downtime and we think, well, what could I be doing right now to like maybe just squeeze a little bit more productivity out of my day? Like there's surely like some laundry that needs to be folded or something. I can't tell you the number of adults I talk to who have no hobby, right? Nothing that they delight in, that they just do that has no value for themselves or other people. Like if you like to knit, everyone's like, you need an Etsy shop, girl. Go ahead and make that money. And it's like, whoa, like can I not just be with my hobby. I like to knit, right? Think about that. We are ill. We are ill. <laughs> we are drunk off restlessness. 
Our rest muscles are so weak. It takes practice to let go. It takes practice to trust that God is in control. You have to do it over and over and over if you're going to get this into your bones and into your life. Now, another reason I think rest is hard, and this definitely hits me, is that we don't like limits. Making the choice to stop producing, to sleep, to rest, it's an act of faith, yes. It's also an embrace of our limitations, and we don't like that. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, they didn't like limits much either. And too often, instead of looking at my to-do list, all the things that I want to do, and seeing my limited time, my limited resources, my limited energy as a gift from God, instead, instead of thinking like, oh, I can take my limits <laughs> to God and pray and trust that he's in control, instead what I do is usually I resent God. I resent God for everything that he's put on my plate, all the people that I have to take care of and check in on and the birthdays to remember and the things to do. I ask God, like, why couldn't you have made the day with 28 hours, right? Like, a little bit more time. Like, you could have done it. You're sovereign. Or I talk negatively about myself to myself. So if it's not directed at God, it's directed at me. Like, why, Jessica, can't you get it together? Why can't you just have a little bit more stamina, a little bit more strength? Be like all the people over there who are just like producing out the wazoo. My daily struggle, what makes it hard for me to stop, is I have to learn how to say enough. I have to learn how to be like God on the seventh day and say all I need to do now is rest and rest in the sustaining grace of God. There's some of us in here who are determined to make something of ourselves. We fear being mediocre. There's something inside of us that says, if I keep pushing myself, I'll finally be somebody. I'll finally be praiseworthy. I'll finally arrive. And to say enough too soon feels like we'll end up like a nobody, or like we, we fail to fulfill our potential. Others of you are perfectionists, and you think you can't let up because if you make a little mistake, well, then you're going to be rejected. You're going to be discarded. Others are prideful on the low. You can't say enough because if you're not the one making things happen, the world is going to stop spinning. And you need to learn that there is one who is all-powerful. He sustains it all, not you. And to give God your hard work and leave the results to him. And some of us can't say enough to acquiring more things. We stay busy to buy more stuff that we don't need to impress people that we don't care about. We need to learn to say enough and allow how we see ourselves to be shaped by what God says, not, what by, not by what others say. We are all designed for rest. There's no shortage of reasons why we need to do the thing that God is calling us to, which is rest. I want to use the rest of our time today, though, to look at 
Jesus, to look to him to get a better understanding of how we can experience the kind of rest I believe God is inviting us to. So go with me to the book of Mark. We're going to look at chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And it says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, this being Jesus, told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence! Be still! The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. So if you've been to church or read the Bible, you've likely come across this account in Mark, and you've likely, if you're like me, thought of it from the perspective of what the disciples might have been feeling in this moment. Like, the disciples are in this boat, there's water coming in, it's a storm, it's crazy, they don't know what's going to happen, and there's a lot of parallels to where we often find ourselves, that we are caught up in the storms of life. And we feel like we're being tossed to and fro. And it feels like, God, are you even there? But we have this promise from Jesus that he is, in fact, in control. And he can speak calm to our winds and waves. And everything will be well. That's a common interpretation of the story. It's a great one. It's an encouraging one. But today, instead of putting ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, I want us to really pay attention to Jesus. Let's look again at verse 38. He, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Here in verse 38, we see Jesus is sleeping. We're witnessing a physical reality that is pointing to a spiritual truth. Why was Jesus asleep? The physical answer is that Jesus was tired. (laughs) He'd been teaching in front of massive crowds, and now here he was submitted to the limits of his humanity, submitted to fatigue and exhaustion. Jesus didn't over-spiritualize his ministry work. He regularly got away and encouraged his disciples, too, to get away and rest. He worked hard, taught crowds, and dealt with a lot of different people, all of whom wanted something from him. And even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he got tired because he was also fully man. And that's a simple statement, but it's worth repeating that Jesus, fully God, fully man, regularly submitted to the limits of his humanity. He said, enough. I've done enough. I've preached enough. I've healed enough. Even though there were more people who surely needed healing, there were more people who surely could have heard his message. But Jesus regularly stopped 
and gave his life over to the sustaining power of the Father. Like Jesus, we need to learn to say enough when our bodies are exhausted. Go lay down. Rest is an act of faith that after we have worked hard, we're able to rest because God's plans will still unfold. And even the next day's work is intended to flow out of our rest. So, the first reason Jesus was asleep was he was tired. He was human. Second, Jesus is sleeping on the boat because he's divine. Jesus knew it wasn't his time to die. His life was so entrusted into the Father's hands, he knew that nothing would come to him that wasn't ordained from the foundation of the world. And as a result, he could sleep. Jesus didn't fear the wind and the waves. When scripture talks about who Jesus is, it says that he, in fact, is the creator of all things. When we look at John 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. The creator had no need to be restless in the face of his own creation. When Jesus sleeps at the bottom of the boat, he does so in confidence He doesn't have to lose sleep on account of weather patterns because he made the weather. So when we say rest is this act of faith, we're talking about more than just taking a nap. It's a pure confidence that all things are under the sovereign control of God and nothing will come your way or my way without divine permission. This is the rest Jesus calls you and me to live if you've placed your faith in him. We are not God like Jesus, but we are made in his image and have divinity written on our DNA. Our lying down to sleep, our letting go, our trusting in the Father can be a holy moment. It's an act and statement of faith that we only need to trust in the sustaining grace of God to know that God is still in control of all things. Our work, our work is to trust and believe in him. So what do I want us to do with this, family? Um, This is not another to-do, so please do not hear it that way. We're busy, we're burdened. This is not a to-do for you. Okay, Jessica said, I gotta wrestle, let me do it. That's not what this is. This is an invitation. This is an invitation for a more beautiful way of life. So, I think, first, this week, we need to evaluate our time. Evaluate our time. Our sleep habits reveal what we love, right? So when we do make the sacrifice to wake up with the child who needs us in the middle of the night, it's because we love that child. Um, When we do stay up to hear about a breakup that a friend has just gone through in the middle of the night, like, it's because we love that person and want to support them. So our sleep habits do reveal the things we love. Our sleep habits also reveal what we trust. So that thing that's waking you up in the middle of the night, that you can't seem to fall asleep because it's turning over and over in your head, 
Is that perhaps something that you're being invited to, to hand over to Jesus? To pray that he would give you faith, to know that he has that thing, that person, that circumstance in control. There's a beautiful scripture I want you to consider. It comes from Psalm 127, verse 1, and it says, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, our little cities, our little kingdoms, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. God is inviting you to rest. Second thing I think that we all need to do is we need to consider how we can build our rest muscles. Consider how we can build our rest muscles. You know, uh, the New York City Marathon was a couple of weeks ago, and shout out to everybody at Renaissance who ran in that thing. That will never be me. Um, That was wonderful. And you know, like, it's an amazing day in the city to see what people are able to accomplish. Um, But the thing about a marathon is like no one just hops up one day and says, you know what, today's a good day, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. Like there were a hundred steps that had to come before running that kind of distance. You had to consider your stamina, you had to consider your energy, you had to consider how to prevent injury. You may have started at one mile and worked your way up, but the point is there are tons of steps that come before stepping out on that raceway and going for 26 miles miles. And the same is true about how we incorporate regular rhythms of rest in our lives. We can't expect to master this. Again, rest is a learned habit. We can't expect to master this if we don't start with small steps done regularly over time, right? And so for you, that might be something like committing, truly committing to shutting your computer and your work emails off at a certain time every day and sharing that with a friend who can help hold you accountable to that. For others of you, it might be something like committing to a weekly Sabbath rhythm um, where you say, I am going to stop for 24 hours and I'm going to reflect and ponder all that God is doing in my life and and delight in the things that he's put at my hands. Uh, Sabbath is a rhythm that Jordan and I incorporated into our lives uh, about eight years ago now, and it was not without its starts and stops and faults of like, I just got to check this one thing, and then, you know, pulling back and then trying again the next week. Um, But I can say now, eight years later, that it is by far like one of the most life-giving practices that I have incorporated in my life to fully stop and reflect and delight in who God is. Um, And for others of you, maybe it's just a consistent bedtime Like, you are up for no reason. You know, I have a friend here at church, Portia, who will just text me. No, 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 this is me. She texts me, and she's like, Jessica, go to sleep, because she knows I'll just be up. And like, what am I doing? You know, like, go to sleep. So maybe for some of you, it's that. It's just setting a consistent bedtime and keeping it. For others of you, you know, we're in this official, we're officially in this holiday season. The year is wrapping up. 2023 is going to be here soon. And there's this whole like mantra that people have about like, let's finish the year strong, right? 
like I've been thinking about all the things I said I was going to do this year, and I haven't done a lot of them, so let me finish strong. And maybe you need to just consider like, hey, I don't have to finish the year strong. Maybe I can finish the year relaxed. Maybe I could finish the year at peace. Maybe I could finish the year with gratitude for the things that have happened. Maybe I could finish the year feeling secure in God's love and what he says about me. The final thing that I want us to do, I want you to try this tonight and, um, and maybe even every night this week. I want you to see your time of laying down to go to sleep for the significance that it holds. I want you to think of it as a holy moment. That it's not just you crashing from the day and falling asleep just to get up and do it all over again. But that it's a time when you are releasing your day. Releasing your ambitions. Releasing your loved ones that you care so deeply about into the Father's hands. And maybe you offer up just a simple prayer. Father, keep watch. Spirit, speak peace. Jesus, be near even now as I sleep. Amen.